muscle, the boobs, and the broads. This is the life on mean streets, where they go to church on Sunday and go to hell on Monday. Mean Streets, a new film from Warner Brothers, rated R, restricted. Okay, you know, it, it just, the weeks just, where do they go? They just fly, fly, fly. It That's just, the thing, when I, I know, you know, when you get older. You know, it's it's time. Time flies. It's weird. I watched this whole show about time. Travel? And I like that, you know, the Asian physicist guy with like the Oh, yeah, the yeah, he's Japanese with the, with the hair down to like his past his ears. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's great. There's I've met him a couple times. He's really cool. You know, a lot of specialists about physics and time and whatever it was fascinating because it's really just like this concept and they were like there was like this theory that time feels like it goes by so much quicker when you get older because it literally is going by quicker when you get older (laughs) yeah uh someone a long time ago explained it to me and they really made good sense and i can't even begin to try doing it now but it's it's for some reason when you're younger you have it's that there's more because you're you're the conception of you with it, for some reason, makes it longer. I mean, you look at w- when you're younger, a Christmas vacation, which is literally, if you think about it, was only like a week and a half from like Christmas to like yeah, New Year's. Yeah. That was like a month, yeah, yeah. you know, or even like a summer vacation, which was literally what six, eight weeks was like felt like a whole year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wasn't. And you think of it now, it's like it's four weeks. The four weeks off is just okay. You know, I'll be back <laughs> at work before I know it. But like literally, that was like you can live a lifetime in in a summer vacation, and then. Somebody uh, said something, again, that I can't quote, but I paraphrase. Like, as you get older, like, when you get elderly, the only thing that really you look forward to are breakfast because every day it's like it goes by so quick. You're just eating breakfast, eating breakfast, eating breakfast because by that point it's just so uh, beyond you. It's weird, though. As you get older, it's just it's flying. Like, I, I, was, I still think we're in college. I know. And that was 64 years ago. <laughs> I know. It was a long time ago. I mean, it's crazy. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're in our middle 30s. You know, middle, I guess we can even say middle to late, but I'm still saying mid-30s, you know, and that's even crazy for me because, you know, when I go to work and I see, like, you know, interns that are 20, and I'm like, you weren't alive when I was sexually active. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You know, so it's just crazy to think that, like, you know, getting into that realm where there's people that are completely younger than us that are, I don't know, 20, 21, and it's like, what the heck? People that were, like, born in the 90s. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) what do you mean? Uh, What does that even, you know, that like you can conceivably be their father. born after the 90s? In the 90s? What the hell? You know, and then we're so old because we were born in the 70s, and it's like, well, we were... Speaking of the seventies, yeah, we've got we, this is, we've got a big <laughs> Sorry, one. Our segue. We've got a, a a big one this week. This is uh, I, I think this was also like a chart topper at the time. This was like a pinnacle, uh, 
this film, uh, I think, for the 70s. Uh, um, again, like we said, it's a late Saturday night. Uh, this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Bai. I'm joined by, uh, with, by, and with <laughs> Jay Blake. Happy to be here as always. Um, and this, this week, uh, this time around, we, we decided to do uh, 1974's Towering Inferno, uh, Irwin Allen classic, also directed by John uh, Gillerman. But uh, and, uh, we're going way down the alley. Way down in 1974, and I think uh, this may be the longest film to date, uh, uh, time-wise. Not oldest, but this might be the lo- uh, the the running time might be yeah. the longest we've done. This was longest like in running time. Two hours and 40 minutes, maybe. Biggest cast, probably. Huge <laughs> cast. They got they got the everybody in the kitchen sink in this freaking movie. Uh, and I've talked to a couple people who grew up in the 70s and were playing with toys at the time. And uh, people forget the scope of stuff where, you know, everybody th- thinks of Star Wars dropping in 77. But prior to Star Wars, like, you know, and, and playing with, like, those 12-inch G.I. Joes with the Kung Fu grips uh, that look like Barbies. Like, in the early to mid-70s, disaster films were freaking huge in, like, Emergency and, like, uh, all those Jack Webb, like, Adam-12 shows were, like, freaking huge yeah. to the point where, you know... They're making disaster movie after disaster movie, and for like another one of these disaster films, Earthquake, they made like a play set. There was a five-story high building that you can get miniature guys, put it in, then you shake it, (laughs) and the thing will shake apart. And it's like that's that's a play set for you, maybe for you know for the youngins out there. We should explain what a disaster movie is because it's not really other than whatever that was the day after tomorrow. Yeah, or whatever. Well, we still I mean, they still see, like they, they twister, still come around. You know, you get you get these these kind of uh, regurgitations of them where you had like uh, San Andreas Fault just came and went. Oh, that's true. That was that kind of uh, that was not kind of. It was a kind of a new take of on the disaster movie. You get like 2012. Uh, you had the day after tomorrow. You had so every year, or every two or three years, uh, without fail, you get one that comes and goes like you said twister was huge in the late 90s when that came out that was very big and they just did another uh weather one which seemed interesting which i hadn't seen yet which uh you know just it's like look what we can do we can destroy the world with special effects <laughs> and it's pretty Cartoons. scary it's like uh but animation uh and it's it's it, you get into like dicey territory especially with twister because they tried to make the uh, the antagonist in uh twister be the storms so it, it gets into a weird realm where it's like almost they're trying to make that the twister be the bad guy. It's kind of like Backdraft was kind of like that. Backdraft was exactly like was that, where they like really they tried to justify like the, the flame like the and the fire you know, had like a, its own entity. Yeah, and it, they really want to make it a character and a presence and, and, and how people believe with it's a live, breathing thing. So you have to not sympathize necessarily with it or empathize with it, but realize that it, it's power. And since we're on the, 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 the subject of Bath, Backdraft, a fireman, <laughs> yeah, a fire. <laughs> fireman hated backdraft because evidently how it didn't portray firemen at all very well. Um, you know, it was very in- inaccurate with a lot of things. But you flip that coin over. This movie we're doing today, The Towering Inferno, firemen love, and they and, yeah. and at the beginning of it, beginning of this movie, they dedicated to, to to all the firemen in the world and yeah, the United yeah. States. And we I should dedicate this cast to the firemen, to the fire, all the first responders. We throw police in there and and paramedics for as all well. All the people that give their lives for the rest of us. Yeah, because because really, I mean, th- that is the ultimate sacrifice aside from you know, going to war for your country. Um, and people do this every day, and it's 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 crazy to to think about. You know, uh, you know, you and I going to work and going to like an office. As opposed to this guy who's getting on a truck and p- could potentially get killed doing whatever he's doing, 
And um, a lot of people you talk to who are older, probably our parents' age, will say that either, either the show Emergency or this sh- movie were reasons why they became a fireman. I mean, not that it glorified it, but it really gave them like a motivation. Yeah. Like, that's a great job. And this is a huge movie, Towering Inferno. This is 240 minutes, and we have a cast that is... Uh, but this is... This this is what Irwin Allen does. We have a cast of, let's see, we have Steve McQueen, we have Paul Newman, we have William Holden, we have Faye Dunaway, we have Robert Vaughn, we have Fred Astaire, we have Jennifer Jones, we have, um, oh, let's see, we have Susan Blakely, we have, uh, I said William Richard Holden Chamberlain? already. Richard Chamberlain, I forgot. OJ, uh, I, I didn't say. Robert Vaughn, did you say Robert I did say Vaughn? Robert Vaughn. Robert I didn't say Robert Wagner, I didn't say him. OJ? I did say OJ. And then we have cameos near the end of the film by um, Dabney Coleman, as well as Olin Soule. And the guy, the kid, Bobby Brady. And Bobby Brady, and the... <laughs> Whatever his real name The is. African-American actor, who I can't remember his name, who's in... Uh, the second Dirty Harry, Magnum Force. He plays uh, Harry's partner. And last but not least, Don Gordon, who's very close to Steve McQueen. Oh, and you, know, you said Dabney Coleman. Yeah, Dabney Coleman, yeah. Who's in the, he's in the same scene with Olin Soul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a huge cast, but I guess that was what Erwin Allen was. And um, he, was a whole, he was a huge cast? You no, know, he was a huge cast guy. <laughs> he liked to do, he had this idea, you just get everybody in the world together. The picture could suck, but if you just get so many actors together and you pay them a crap load of money, people are going to come see it. And that's a formula that worked up until, I think, maybe five, ten years ago when the whole movie industry went like, you know, went on its ears or ass over tit. Well, where does this fall in line with things like Poseidon Adventure and Earth uh, in terms of chronology, do you it, know? Yeah, it starts, Poseidon was first. So, Erwin yeah. uh, Allen... Uh, he was a big producer, crazy guy in the in the late fifties into the sixties. He did the uh, a bunch of feature films. He did the original Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and that begot the TV show Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which is fantastic. I uh, highly recommend it. Richard Basehart. Uh, that ran like six or seven seasons. Uh, a lot of people say that 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 has a lot of elements of what Star Trek became because it's basically like Star Trek yeah. underwater. It's uh, anthology. Every episode, they're doing something different. And uh, not to stop the train, what we're talking right now, but I just want to give a shout out. It's it's if you ever if there's any voyage to the bottom of the sea fans out there, I've started watching it on um, MeTV, which uh, Blake and I always talk about our antenna <laughs> TVs that we watch. You know all the old shows. And I find it so hilarious that, that every time there's an episode, and I love this show, they always have to talk it out. So if, say, for instance, I'm Richard Bayhart, uh, Basehart, and you pull a gun on me. I'm like, are yeah. you pulling a gun? I can't believe it. So it's like nothing's ever like, dude, there's a gun. I want your money. <laughs> He's like, well, what is the gun going to do? Is the gun going to fire bullets? So are you trying to tell me? And it just goes on like that. And it's just like, wow. Like, you know, there's someone running down the hall, a monster after them. And they're just like, there's, there's a monster running <laughs> the hall. So there's no urgency to anything. Everything's just yeah, drawn yeah. out. So I, I just love that. So that show got really big. And then he did Lost in Space, which was, again, another uh, great yeah. show. That, you know, was huge. And then that kind of, I guess, jumped the shark and the, the, the tail end of its series. But these shows were big set pieces, big special effects, Which very big Gene practical. Roddenberry claims that they stole basically from him. Uh, what, Lost in Space or the, the Lost in Space? Which I guess maybe he like did. it was like the story was that they told he you know he was a writer in television and uh, he had this idea for Star Trek. And he came in and per- pitched it. Well, he was a motorcycle cop, which is even weirder. <laughs> yeah, but you he know? wanted to be a screenwriter. Yeah. But then he started working in the business, and he had this idea, and he came in and he pitched it to them, and they're like, that's really interesting. How would you do it? Yeah. 
and he went through it. It's like, oh, we could do it if you did this and you did this, and this is how you could get it under budget. And then they see you later. <laughs> yeah, and then like okay. we'll call you back. And then we used they used like all uh, allegedly used all his like you know how he would do Star Trek, how he could bring in Star Space Adventure. I wonder if it's if it's stuff. an answer like if, if that's the reverse argument. Like if I'm going to say people think Roddenberry took Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea to make Star Trek, well, well they're like, well, yeah, well, they took Lost in Space. <laughs> or so. I mean, not I'm not. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, could be, you know. Could but be. but it's that's interesting how they're 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 intertwined in such a way in, in the annals of history. Um, but Irwin Allen was into these big productions of of uh, doing special effects, but then he was also notorious. They called him the great producer because he'd do stuff on the cheap and he'd, he'd do stuff that cheapest way possible and then that's what you end to see and you come to see near the end of Lost in Space where it just becomes like a man in a rubber suit every week or whatever because yeah, yeah. they have no uh, budget so uh, to answer your question in the roundabout way come the early 70s um, they do the Poseidon Adventure and the Poseidon Adventure was freaking huge and that was a which was remade a couple years ago over I think over 10 by now with uh, Wolfgang Peterson did it and he did a lot more like a very brutal brutal version of it's just called Poseidon and, and people I'm when I say brutal it's just because it's so violent people I mean it's like if you were to have a camera and a on a ship and the ship flipped over you just see everybody's death was so violent <laughs> and, and yeah. horrible there was no romanticism in it as these movies kind of have the 70s um, but he had like a whole cast of characters with Poseidon like you know Ernest Borgnine Gene uh, Hackman thousands of people Shelley Winters and all that and that movie did great and so the next one they did was this Towering Inferno in 74 and I think in between then, the, the, the market, they realized, like anything, it's like, holy crap, you know, this is a, a new industry. Let's do, never thought of it, let's make disaster movies. So uh, in the 70s, uh, these are not necessarily the order. You have Poseidon Adventure, you have Towering Inferno, you have Airport 77, and there's a huge uh, bunch of sequels to the airport movies. You have Fire, you have Avalanche, which was... Um, done by Roger Corman. You have the Hindenburg. You have the Swarm, which is also Irwin Allen. You have When Time Ran Out, which is Irwin Allen. And these are both TV movies. Airplane. Air, and then Air, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's where you get the spoof. Like, they kind of like... Which Airplane is actually a remake of, like, a 50s... Well, it could be Airport 77, though. It's like... Movie. You know. it, was the, it was, like, an old script that they took and they made a comedy. They just, I also find it funny because going back to, like, the antenna television stuff we've been talking about, that, like, it seems like in the se late 70s they decided that they were going to put a year on everything. Like, Airport 77. Yeah, 78. like, Match Game is... Match Game 73. 72. <laughs> it's, and it's all... Like, why can't it just be called Match Game? Yeah, why, why is it just called Airport? Well, they just figure they want to, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're timestamping it when it came out. They're like, okay, here we're going to go. And then it, it kind of got tired near the end of the... And then by um, the, uh, like, ninety seven nine nineteen eighty when they did this, when time ran out which I think had Paul Newman and a bunch of other people, maybe Borgnine in it, it kind of got, you know, ahead of itself. And they're like, okay, we've, we've thoroughly exhausted this. And then because Star Wars came out, yeah, we'll everybody see. ran to Star Wars. But like I said, at the time, in the 70s, 75, 76, you had like, you know, Chips was coming out, all that kind of like first responder. This is what we go through. It's very like almost documentarian, uh, very procedural. And uh, people loved it, and they were eating it up. Okay. And, so uh, now 74. We have Towering Inferno. Towering Inferno comes out. And I remember... Now, why did you... Maybe this is... Maybe you were about to answer my exact question. <laughs> because... I was going to say, why, why did you choose this movie? I remember watching this movie when I was little with my dad. He turned it on. And, of course, you don't know what you're watching when you're little. And you're like, wow, there's a movie about a big building. And then, of course, there's a huge freaking fire. And I remember watching this movie, and it was crazy. And this, I remember specifically that scene when 
uh, everyone bum rushes the elevator and Bill Holden's like, no, no. And then, of course, the elevator door's shut and then the, the elevator door's open and that one guy comes out on fire and he staggers out and he just drops and it takes him a half hour to put him out. Scared the shit out of me. Because of that, then I have nightmares of that and uh, since because of this movie also, I have a big phobia about riding up glass elevators. You know, like... Uh, yeah. In Times Square, the Marriott Marquis has these glass elevators that go to like 100 floors, and you can look out. And because of this movie and, and the elevators falling off its tracks, I still get like goosebumps going up these elevators. So I saw this at a very young age, and it was just like mixed with like you playing with your G.I. Joes and your like Tonka toys to see like, f- you know, fire trucks and firemen putting fires out. I was like, this movie is great. So I've always held a special place in my heart for this. and especially Poseidon Adventure. Uh, how about you? Do, have you? do you remember seeing this as a kid or anything? No, this is the first time I ever saw it. Oh, come on. You've never seen had it before. No, never had any interest. Holy crap. To see it. Didn't really have an interest to see it this wow. time around. Wow. Never occurred to me to watch this movie. Yeah, it's, for me, it's <clears> like the disaster films of like, or like, like summer movies. Like you'd, you'd get something like these, these big adventure set pieces with these thousands of people. And a lot of times they can get hunkered down because they... they it's hard to tell like a, a, a multi-character story and have everyone's arcs follow through. So you get kind of, it could get kind of clunkersome if that's a word. But this movie seems to keep the memento going, but at certain times it is a little dated because there's scenes of like um, tension and suspense where that scene is drawn out, where there's like yeah, 20 yeah. minutes of someone trying to get to A to B, which there's a lot of set pieces in this movie that kind of do that. Um, and I guess, you know, the basis of the story is, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so funny because it's almost like a, yeah, we definitely can't go through this movie beat per beat. No, no, it's there's gotta be forever. <laughs> it, it, it's very, it's like, you know, it's the opening day of this building called the glass, um, the glass tower. And, uh, you this know, it's based on a book, right? Two books. There's one called the glass tower and there's one called the tower and Warner brothers had one. And Fox had the other. I don't know which ones they had. And they were big, huge books at the time. And because Poseidon came out and was huge, Poseidon Adventure, Irwin Allen wanted to go do one of them. But then he realized the other studio was thinking of putting it into production too. So he had the ingenious idea, which I guess no one ever does anymore, is to, to go to both the, the companies and say, hey, let's pool our resources, put our money together, oh, and make a big thing. I wouldn't thing. say, I mean, Sony and Disney are about to No, but I mean so. in a sense where, <laughs> you know, in the, it, they didn't want to have rival movies come out at the same yeah, time, yeah. where nowadays you'll have a Dante's Peak versus, oh, sure, sure, or, or yeah. versus Volcano or, or Deep Impact versus Armageddon. You'll have movies come out that are identical, and you're like, what? You know, within like three months of each other, where back then, Irwin Allen was smart enough to say, hey, let's bring it all together. We'll use our money in one big pot, and we'll make a shitload of money. Yeah. So um, based off of two books, uh, and I guess the, 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 it was written to incorporate characters from each book and then the two climaxes from each book. So they're, they're pretty uh, uh, loyal to the source material to a certain extent. Huh. And it's basically about opening day of this glass tower in San Francisco, the tallest building in the world, 138 floors. And uh, William Holden owns the building. He, he kind of put it up. Paul Newman was the architect. Uh, William Holden's son-in-law, uh, a, a really sleazy Richard Chamberlain, was the designer, or he, or he was the contractor that got the building together. And you come to find out uh, when they have the opening ceremony, it's almost like the Titanic, basically. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's like it's man versus technology, if you want, we want to get into like uh, kind of like the- themes. 
they're going to have the opening night up at the, on the promenade thing. They turned the whole building on. They realized that the building was made to code, but it wasn't made to Paul Newman, the architect's code of what the building needs to take to... to, 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 to yeah, for, because the demands the of a building of this size... Like the electrical demands. You and know, the, like the codes never envisioned. Yeah, something this freaking big. And so he was like, and even though it's up to code, it's not up to what's going to work. For yeah, we need shit insulated. We need to, you know, and Richard Chamberlain, and then it gets hinted that even William Holden, the owner, yeah, yeah. also greenlit cutting costs. So when William Holden says, turn it on, and they turn that Christmas tree on, the whole building, it lights up, but everything is just too hot, causes a fire, and shit goes down. And everybody dies. And then Steve McQueen shows up halfway through the movie like, Jesus, architect, yeah. you can't build on this high. <laughs> what, you, what have we told you for years? You yeah. Know? Well, I would definitely, it all starts with, uh, they're testing things. There's like a short, that's where they discover that the line isn't insulated or whatever. And then that causes like just a regular circuit breaker box in some staff room on 81st floor or whatever. <laughs> Which is funny, right next to Which some like. Right next to like, a big th- pile of rags soaked in oil <laughs> this, this is probably that movie soaked in kerosene for some yeah, reason yeah left overnight you know completely mishandled <laughs> with barrels with flame flammable yeah do not leave all. near electrical <laughs> you know and people just they've left gasoline out who needs gasoline on the 81st floor we don't know but <laughs> like the worst case scenario you know the, the, the sugar breaker blows up has a short the, the door flies open as it does sparks come out right on this perfectly placed and then it takes a good rack. 45 minutes before that 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 fire spreads yeah well because and then uh, as luck has it above the circuit breaker is a uh, like is like an air duct and it's sucking air out so the smoke is getting sucked up into the air system so that it's not going out into the hall to to set the alarms off and not only that even though they're having opening night, the, the they haven't they haven't finished putting all the alarm system in. They haven't their their building isn't up to code. <coughs> yeah, like all the safe fire doors. Uh, they don't have all the sprinklers. Lifeboats. They don't yeah. have enough lifeboats for everybody. And this re- <coughs> this really becomes like the, the story of the Titanic, where at the turn of the century, people you know were called Bigger, better. Yeah, it's unsinkable. Unsinkable. You know. Uh, God, you know, God can't even sink it. And God's like, I can't. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, watch this. You really want to test it? Yeah. And, uh, and it's because, you know, in, at the end of the Industrial Revolution, people were kind of thinking, like, you know, we can do anything. And the Titanic kind of, like, killed the Victorian Industrial Revolution by saying, no, you, you have to realize a man has to know his limitations. San Francisco becomes a really big location for movies. In the, in the 70s. Bullet, you got Dirty, Dirty Harry. Harry. This invasion of the body snatcher. It's crazy, and to to since you're, we're touching on this, uh, we have Robert Vaughn's character in this, who's a I think he's a senator in this senator, movie, yeah. and it's really interesting to think that in Bullet he's like um, he's some sort of city official that's pressuring McQueen to to have this case and this witness brought back, and it's almost like he's the same character. So you can think of him in in, in San Francisco. Uh, you know, this is the he becomes a senator <laughs> after '68, and then so what you're saying this is his demise. This is a sequel to Bullet. Yeah, it's a sequel to Bullet. <laughs> after Bullet becomes decides to not become a cop anymore, and he becomes a fire. Yeah, well, because then he takes with him uh, his when when we when McQueen finally shows up, he has with him Don Gordon. He's calling Cappy, and Cappy is his partner. I think his name's Del Getty in Bullet. He's that's his partner. They're they're good friends. Uh, Don Gordon's the guy that uh, McQueen used to smoke a lot of marijuana. And they used to get high and they'd ride their bikes around. And he was the guy that McQueen was with the night when they uh, were driving their motorcycles on San Francisco. And, the, and McQueen went too fast off one of the, the, the mountains, 
made air, came down, almost lost the bike, but he was okay. And Don Gordon's like, crap, are you okay? And McLuhan's like, yeah. He's like, hey, can you picture doing that with a car? And that was the idea of the whole chase scene in Bullet, which now has been copied a zillion times. Yeah. And Don Gordon, they were good friends, and he also shows up at the beginning of Papillon. He's the guy that when they're getting <coughs> off, the, when they get to um, Devil's Island, uh, he cuts his leg because he's like, I can't come back here, uh, cover for me, and he falls down the gangplank. Uh, so that's Don Gordon. So yeah, to think about it, like after the after Bullet, uh, both Frank Bullet and uh, <laughs> Del Getty, uh, you know, they both become firemen, and then, then, then they come in this movie. And then <coughs> lastly, you have the like I said, the African American uh, actor who was uh, uh, Eastwood's uh, partner and yeah. Magnum Force, which is like seventy three, seventy four. He's in this movie. So um, yeah, and, and 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 the whole thing just slowly. But surely just, just falls out of control and you have these great set pieces that just, uh, they made, to get to the details, they had 57 sets that only two were left standing after. They burned everything down. They had four units. They had an action unit. They had a, a dialogue principal photography unit. They had a special effects unit. And then they had a miniature unit. They had a miniature of the building that they did. And the miniature, I think, was w one inch, one and a half inch scale for per floor. So the building was seven feet tall. Not seven feet, I'm sorry, seven stories tall. Yeah. So that's how high the, the miniature building was that they were shot. And, and I think, uh, I'll shut up to let you talk, but I think this, is, this movie is a, just a testament of what we were able to do before uh, CGI and computers. Because this is all basically practical effects, matte paintings, miniature yeah, work, yeah. Uh, optical projection, double exposure with smoke. And it's just a testament of how awesome special effects guys can just go out into a, to like their parking lot yeah, and make yeah. like a miniature in something in the back parking lot and make it look freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, to that end, yeah, I would say definitely. I mean, this, it's kind of a beautiful movie to look at. Uh, the sets are great, very like 70s retro. That's, it's so, and I think, I don't know if that's an Irwin Allen thing, like the, like a lot of the um, establishing stuff, like, like McQueen's, I mean, uh, Paul Newman's office. It's is awesome. <laughs> Isn't it so cool? I mean, when you walk into the, even the lobby, the lobby is just, it just screams like modern 70s post, like yeah. brutalist, like, uh, you know, it, it's almost like Escape from Planet of the Apes, one of these like concrete, like yeah. in the, in the, these crazy colors, like a lot of like earth and or tones, and oranges, browns, and and yeah, you know, like reds, and and it's just um, uh, earth browns, and it's it's so seventy. So the, the the production and set design is just phenomenal, and you just think of how big these sets are, and they just light them all on fire, yeah. you know. And those mat, and clearly there's a lot of matte painting, like. Uh, there's a scene where, there, for some reason, there's a gas main open. <laughs> they're going down the stairs. There's a lot of explosions. By the time they get to the to this, where they're trying to fight the fire, and, and uh, uh, Paul Newman is with uh, Judy. What's her? What's the actress? Name? Jennifer Jones. Jennifer Jones. Yeah, Jennifer Jones. Um, and uh, there's a deaf woman that lives in the building, and they go and they get her kids the son being Bobby Brady and they're trying to go down the stairs and there's this explosion and they lose like two flights of, of stairs. Yeah. And Paul Newman makes it down. Uh, and then he's got to get them down. But when they, they do the look over, Oh, they look, do you look down? Like they look down like the, the, the staircase. Yeah. Very Hitchcock's down. vertigo. Yeah. You, but you it's see, clearly like a beautiful matte painting. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's uh, like Peter Ellenshaw esque. very yeah. like awesome. Well, and there's a lot of these, uh, the movie moves, but then they stop and they give you these scenes of tension, these set pieces where you have a lot of these gimmicks where you have, 
you know, Paul Newman having to tra traverse these stairs by like going up a metal railing, and that's yeah, like yeah. twenty minutes long. You have the. I uh, feel like they're nobody's worried that that railing is gonna. It's just it's just good. It's like dangling. <laughs> this metal it's railing. Moving, it's waving in the. In and the Paul wind. Newman's like taking like people yeah, on his like, back. Come on now. <laughs> you can do it. Okay. Uh, now I'm gonna put the orchestra on my back. The stairs. The the cement stairs didn't hold, <laughs> but this railing is, is <laughs> which is bolted in with two things. And like it's that's funny too because near the end of the movie too they they um they use this thing another set piece called a, a, um, a breacher's boy which is they try they they basically just try to tie two lines of rope to one building to this building and just have a chair to to bring people one at a time and yeah, it's yeah. such a crazy thing but they're they're throwing the line with helicopters and they're they're wrapping the line up and they're in the promenade and um, they're like looking to secure the line and you see them they put like the the, the line around this like. Uh, this piece of like furniture and I'm like you know, or not furniture but it's like a big concrete uh, column and I'm like Jesus if this is like Bill Holden specs that thing's probably made of styrofoam because <laughs> you know, he, he cheaply made everything on the cheap yeah, um, yeah. and uh, yeah there's all these little like the you know the water tower them having to blow the water tower oh. at the end well I mean a big uh, big set piece that I actually was one of my favorite parts of the movie I don't know why is the Robert Wagner Oh, that his death scene, getting it on, and with his like his secretary in his office, and then uh, they finish up, and he's like, "I'm gonna go up to the party now," and then they see that the there's she's like, "Somebody's smoking a cigarette." Yeah, I don't know. And then and they, yeah, they walk they open out. up the office, the door, and they realize that the shit's on fire, and I, well, I just thought it's funny. She's like in like his dress shirt. She's in a shirt. And never once has it occurred to her that she should put, like, the rest of her clothes. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like I would have said, like, get dressed while I go. Because he goes outside the, the bedroom door into, like, the inner office area. And then he notices that the fire's pretty bad in the hallway and they're not going to be able to get out. So he, he goes back in and the phone's dead. But then it's like he does, like, the honorable thing where she runs into another room, comes out, and he's like, yeah, okay. And he lies and he acts like helps on the way, which we know it isn't. And yeah. it's like, I don't know. Would you, would you lie to your significant other one if you, you know, about that? Or would you I be honest? I think I would be honest. So would I. I, I don't would think say, I would I think lie. you need to get dressed. Because she kind of forgives him later on, like, there is nobody coming. And he's like, no, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I would. got me. Yeah, he got me. <laughs> I was trying to make you feel better. I'm, a, I'm an asshole. But, you know, and then the, uh, it's, I think, a testament to how good Irwin Allen ended up being because they didn't want Irwin Allen to direct the whole movie himself. And he's like, what the fuck? I put the whole thing together. And so they were like, we'll get this other uh, director, um, John uh, Gillerman. He'll do all the dialogue and regular scenes. We'll let you direct the action sequences. And uh, Alan's like, fuck it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, at least second you got unit. me there. Got it. Okay, I'm, I'm on it. And uh, his second unit shit is really good. And, and I guess you don't really realize why wa while watching it, but like Wagner's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a run for it. You, yeah. you stay like, here, I'll come <laughs> back with help. Just covers, like, him, covers his head in a wet towel. <laughs> that's, that's, <coughs> not, that's like going to save everything. He just, it, not takes even a towel. Three, three it's steps a hand towel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Th takes three steps out of the office door. And it's just like, it's like he was covered in kerosene. <laughs> as well as, as well as, it's like the girl, too, she like shuts the door on him. We can't go back. <laughs> so he's like, he's screwed. He's like, oh shit, I really got to try to make this run. But it's beautifully shot. The, 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 the set is huge. And Irwin Al, uh, I, I, I think it most likely was his idea, but he slows it down. So the, and I don't think you really even realize on your viewing that it's all slow motion and it's yeah. just beautiful. Like you know, the place is on fire. And then 
again, a testament to these practical effects. You had some dude in a stunt, stunt shoot, suit yeah. running around a, 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 a huge room that's like 50 feet in diameter on fire for like 20 minutes. Like guys, <laughs> he, you know, did you get the shot yet? Yeah, it's like we have to do it twice. I think they did it twice. And it's like, you know, there's beats where, okay, run to the, the counter, step over, trip over the counter. Run to the closet. You get overcome by the closet. Stagger over to the phone. <laughs> Make it like you're going to get to the door. Get right to the door. Stagger back. Collapse. And these guys that are <clears throat> in these fire suits, fire suits, like, they can't see anything. Like, they have to have their eyes closed. Like, nowadays, I think they've, they've, they've come somewhat a little <laughs> way. But, I mean, back then, it was all they were doing were just, like, you, you weren't allowed to breathe the whole time because you could inhale, like, the fire. Yeah, and that actually happened to one person where they got some of the... the stuff and he inhaled and it went in his nose and got a, a, a burn on his nose but a lot of these people all they do they just wrap you up you hold your breath you're in some kind of like flame retardant gel they put the a, a mask on you they put the costume on you whatever the the actor you're portraying is wearing and then they would cover you with like a really uh flammable like uh, uh what do you call that like uh um, like, gel or like a cement um uh, uh, you know, uh, quick dry cement. What do you call that when you with paper or whatever, rubber cement or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And then they would light you on fire. And they're like, go! And it's like these guys were like, you know, they were really getting their whole. You know, we can only do this twice, probably. <laughs> so yeah. and a, a lot of people got hurt. The other thing is like the first real injury is like that guy who's like Paul Newman's friend. Oh you yeah, go down to the eighty first floor. It's like the backdraft. Scenario. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's about. He's like, I'm just gonna open this door. He's like, What are you doing? No. And the guy and the, he runs to like, don't just open it because you know it'll backdraft on him. And he gets on fire. And apparently, like, stop, drop, and roll was not something that people knew about in 1974. I, I wonder if it's from these movies, and because I because he's just like, like, he's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, uh, what were you? Use the blinds. <laughs> the blinds. Then, like work. looking around, he's crawling around completely on fire. <laughs> I'm still. Like, I gotta go walk to the. Other side of this room, grab some blinds. Is there anything? Is, is this. there a sink? No, I'm not looking for it. Well, find some water. There's no water. <laughs> <laughs> guys like, fire. You know, but I, I think this this movie did bring with it a lot of awareness of. I think they said it changed like uh, building codes, yeah. what happens. And I, I remember growing up in the early '80s, and and stop, drop, and roll was freaking huge. This is what you do in a fire. You stay low as well. The other big thing was. You know, because Darth Vader was around, they would say, if you hear a Darth Vader-like thing coming towards you, don't be scared. It's not Darth Vader. It's a fireman with the breathing mask. He's here to help. So don't be scared of that. And I was like, oh, okay, I remember all that. So you're right. I don't think they patented Stop, Drop, and Roll. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't trademarked. So, yeah, so, you know, it's not like it's like Heimlich. They didn't have the, he didn't have the maneuver yet. He was still working on, like, a, you know, a slight, you know, whatever, like, a procedure. So, it, and, uh, yeah, that, I mean, all these, at, at the end of the day, I think we had 25 stuntmen die on camera in the movie. So you have 25 scenes where people just throw themselves out of windows or uh, yeah. just get burned to a crisp. And uh, it, you really get to see people's, like, true colors, like, like Richard Chamberlain, who's, like, the guy who took, who, like, okayed all the shoddy wiring that was supposedly up the code is a real sleaze bag. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's great in this movie. Oh, he's, I, I he's, always liked Richard Chamberlain. Yeah, he's um, great. But he's he's really and he's primarily known for television. Yeah, he did a lot of TV work and, he and did a lot of TV movies and stuff. But so this isn't like a big theatrical kind of epic thing. It's not really what he was known for. But he, I think he's I thought he was great in this movie in that part. Yeah, he he's he's freaking amazing. I think uh, I mean everybody. Fred Astaire 
how freaking <laughs> awesome. I mean, you know, just I, it's it's weird. <laughs> his, his character's really a character that doesn't need to exist. You know, he, he just must have been in one of those books. Yeah, he's just like, about. all right, we're gonna just put you in, and you know, and, and, and you know, he's got a bounce in his walk. He's like, hey, look, I still got it. You know, he's, they they have him like you know do something on the dance floor. He's dancing with Jennifer Jones. And uh, he turns out to be a con man, which is really funny. So you're right. You can really, you know, just trans, trans lift him out of the story. And he, he's still, uh, he doesn't need to be. But then it's so sad at the end because she ends up dying in like this completely left turn you don't see happening when they're, oh, they're, yeah, they're bringing yeah. 12 women down the glass elevator. And of course, there's an explosion, an unnecessary explosion. And the elevator comes off its tracks, window breaks, and she goes plummeting Jennifer Jones right out the yeah, freaking yeah. thing. So it's it's really like a tearjerker at the end when yeah he's looking for he comes and to then OJ comes <laughs> with the with her, with her cat and he's like you take this you know Here and you go. it's really funny. Speaking of OJ in this, um, OJ is the head of building security. So right at the very beginning, stuff's going down. OJ's like something's not right. And this is back when OJ was like you know he was a leading man he's an yeah, actor and all before this. he was a murderer yeah he, before he murdered anyone <laughs> and uh i w- i'm watching the movie and, and and uh uh steve mcqueen gets on the scene steve mcqueen's asking questions and oj starts questioning steve mcqueen and i'm like oj you know we know what happens when you think too much stuff goes down you can't you, you shouldn't overthink things here you know you know shit goes wrong when you start thinking about stuff too much look what you did to these two people that you murdered so just shut up and and let you know let Steve McQueen, you know, know what he's doing. He knows because OJ's asking him all these questions like, well, what are you, what are you talking about, fireman? <laughs> and Steve's like, don't overthink it, OJ. Just, 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 just get out of here. Yeah, well, he wants to know. Steve McQueen comes. They set up shop. And he wants to know, like, what the businesses are. That are, the, the, that are in the like the surrounding floors up, above the and OJ's floor. like, why, why do you need to know like what they are? Why don't you need to know this? And he's like, because if it's if they're manufacturing. Ping pong balls is going to let off this gas. Yeah, if, if it's they're doing be wool, silk, it's, it's going to let off this I need to keep going, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, he's like, just go do your job. Um, Steve McQueen doesn't show up till 42 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And uh, there was a huge rivalry uh, with him and Paul Newman at the time. Because, well, originally, uh, I mean, I know you like to play the what if game. I know. So, well, yeah. <laughs> so uh, originally he was asked to play the architect, Paul Newman's part, correct? Yeah, and they uh, we're going to have Ernest Borgnine. Come and play the fire chief. Play the fire chief. And uh, McQueen looked at the part and he said, "Well, if you can offer someone of my caliber, the architect, I want to be the fireman." And he he took the role of the fireman and he really expanded the fireman's role because I guess the role wasn't nearly as big as this one. And yeah, yeah. And so he's like, they expanded the role for him, and then he had like a deal where he would get the same amount of money as Newman. And they would have the same amount of lines. Exactly. Yeah. He so wanted, he, they added he, like an extra twelve fucking lines of dialogue. Yeah. Just, just, so, to, just so McQueen would be happy. Because. Which I don't think was a wise choice because I was watching this movie and I was like, and I like Steve McQueen and I don't think Steve McQueen's a bad actor or anything. Yeah. But it's like the lines he's delivering. It's just like, I don't know. I I don't think the script for this movie is particularly very good. Yeah. And so like I feel like the less lines McQueen had, kind of maybe he would come off a little bit better. Oh, I think he was great in it. I I, I love. I mean, McQueen. I think he's doing the best he can. Yeah. With a situation with a with dialogue that's not forgiving. Yeah, yeah. Which is like a lot of like technical jargon and. Yeah, he wanted to, to. It goes back to there was a movie that they were him and Newman did together when Newman was of course huge called Someone Up There Likes Me. And Steve McQueen had a, uh, an uncredited role in it, and they were shooting one night, and uh, McQueen was still a nobody, and it was raining in New York City, and there was a limo next to the set of cars, so McQueen got into the back seat to, to, to get dry, and, he, and the, the driver got, you know, said, this is Paul Newman's limo, get the hell out, and he kicked him out, 
and because of that he's he holds grudges just like I do, and he's like, oh, if I ever this Paul Newman, I'm gonna, I'll get back at him. So then, he was offered to do Butch, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and then you know he started asking for things, and they ended up going with Robert Redford instead of McQueen. So you get to this movie. And he's like, you know, I'm going to be the fire chief. Like you said, I want the same amount of lines. I want the exact billing. So if you look at the, the poster, they're kind of, the, the, yeah. their names are kind of in such a way where is it the person who's higher the, the, yeah, the yeah. lead it's billing? It's like McQueen's name is on the left of this poster, but it's lower than Paul, say Paul, Newman's. Paul Newman. So, it's so like, even though technically Steve McQueen gets first, but first is it billing, higher? So it's, but it's, yeah, it's, it's whoever reads it if you're, if you're you know. Imagine like the, like the meeting that had to take place yeah for that like okay how are we gonna bill these guys what if we do <laughs> well, i think <laughs> it was, it was like all days and days man their agents and managers being like fuck it <laughs> yeah know? a smoke-filled room with a bunch of guys <laughs> yeah. you know again smoking cigars like what are we gonna <laughs> do you know it's, it's like, like weeks of decision making you know how they're gonna build them on this poster yeah, and mcqueen was real meticulous about all that and uh after the thing was over paul newman said like you know i he, he got the better role i should have thought of that and he never like did something like that again because McQueen I guess for for the masses turned out to be a little better because then he has that speech at the end where he's like you know you keep building this way and you know we're going to keep risking our lives you know that kind of a thing Um, and so they got paid uh, one million a piece and they both got 10% of the revenue and the movie ended up grossing 14 it cost 14 million to make and it grossed 200 million worldwide was in first run theaters for almost a year crazy uh, got Oscar, got Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Song. Uh, they, Irwin Allen loves his songs in his movies. Uh, we May Never Love Like This Again was in this one. Yeah. As John in Williams did the score. John Williams right? did the score. It's a great score. Um, so uh, you have everybody f- playing crazy parts in it. What do you think about uh, th- if we extend our what-if game to after the movie ends, uh, which I was going to talk about later in the cast, but I'll do it now. You think since William Holden survives, there's a big uh, civil suit against him? <laughs> you think he goes to jail? Yeah, I, I don't know what they can prove, though, right? Because well, everybody died, you're saying? Because <laughs> uh, Robert... The Rob- only one that really knows that... Uh, Richard Chamberlain? That, he, that he might be in on it is... Is Chamberlain? Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm, I, I, I could see, like, maybe it's it's not like today where people sue over, like, a broken egg, but I can see everyone I also don't, I don't filing know, civil suits. That's a good question. You know, because he, he's, I don't know if he was, he's liable because at the end of the day, it's his company, but I would assume they just tear that, that bad boy down, you know. Um, now, do you find these movies, at, uh, we're talking about, it's like man versus technology, uh-huh. you know, or uh, man versus the fantastic. Do you find these kind of to be an element? I, I don't know if it's a challenge to you, but do you think these are in a way horror films to a certain extent where of course, they're event action adventures, but people. Why in these in the seventies were these movies so exciting? You had a slew of success after success, and it's because people, you know, love to see death and they feared death. And what would they be like in this situation? So you take a movie like this where it's about fire. They did the other one was water, so this is fire. Yeah. And people, it's the fear of and being then burned earthquake alive. Is earth? Or yeah, you know, all <laughs> yeah, all the all, you know. There's a flood. There's a, you know, they do a fire again. You know, so or avalanche. Roger Corman. Do you think that this is an element of a horror where it's a I sense of... I wouldn't necessarily say that you... That, like, Cowering Inferno, you could make an argument that it's a horror movie, like, that there's horror elements or that it's a horror movie. I think you could definitely make the argument that what appeals to people about it 
it's very similar to what appeals what why horror appeals to people yeah which is uh i mean you know books are written about it so i mean we could do you know a series of casts specifically about this but if you look at it on the very kind of on the surface you can look at movies have always been and uh horror movies have always been a way of exploring fear and danger and death in a safe manner Mm. yeah when they're you're removed from the situation you it's a way of like you know being able to experience it but knowing that you know when the movie's over and the lights go up in the movie theater everything's okay so i think yeah you could make you could definitely make that argument i think now in a post 9/11 you know world i mean i don't know how it is for like the rest of the country but for you know i, I for me and i would imagine for you and most of the people that are in the new york area or e- even you know the northeast you know, I, I start to find, like, these kinds of things, like, really disturbing and not, like, in a fun, you know, like, even, like, the Superman movie of, like, the buildings coming down and stuff. You mean it, the, the, the most recent one? Yeah. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. And, like, just, like, all this. Well, I think, like, you. It start, it's, it, like, it's not, that's the thing is, like, now in a time where we've had, like, this kind of tragedy. Yeah. And it's become real. Like, this kind of stuff has taken on, like, another meaning in that, like, it's not... The level of seriousness that you have. It's seen. not, like, ex- it's not experiencing it, like, in a safe environment anymore because now it's, like, we've experienced it. It's like know? a war movie. Like, prior to, like, I don't know, you'd say whatever, uh, Apocalypse Now or Platoon or whatever, or Saving Private Ryan, you know, they kind of, you know, it was the romanticism of it all. You romanticize these disaster films or whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah. then now you have... You know, people coming back from war and you realize what it is to go to war or what you're saying now with 9-11. I worked at a video store when 9-11 happened and it was it was odd and I don't know if it's the, uh, the, the moroseness of man, but the two movies the week that 9-11 happened that w- wouldn't be on the shelves was The Towering Inferno. People were renting like crazy. And then The Siege, that huh. Denzel Washington movie that takes place, like there's terrorism in yeah. New York City with, I forget who else is in that movie, The Siege with him. Uh, but those are two movies that were like renting like hotcakes, you know, and it's weird. And you're right because, you know, it takes a whole different connotation on when you're watching these movies now. And like a, certainly the, the couple scenes where people decided to like jump out of a window when they're on fire. And that really happened in 9-11. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's 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 very freaky. And then, I mean, uh, people always talk about odd coincidences. It took them four months to film this movie and filming wrapped September 11th, 1974. And then they had it out by December of 74. This movie was yeah, out. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I coincidences. For me, it's like all this, like, New York coming under fucking, like, destruction. Like, you know, even though it's like Metropolis and the Superman. It's just like, I, I, like I'm, I just like, leave it alone. Yeah, it gets, it gets old. And it's like, it, <laughs> you know, it added like I'm this. sick of watching. I'm sitting in a movie theater in Times Square. I don't want to sit well, even that, watch even the star anymore. Even the Star Trek, the second uh, Star Trek movie. What is that? After Darkness? or No, uh, Into Darkness. Into Darkness. Even that, when they blow up like half of London. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, they, they, they have to put in everyone's screens, you know. And, uh, and you realize that no, it's like a Godzilla movie now. Like, no longer... Are these just you? People realize if a building comes down, or like even uh, the Avengers movies, or these these superhero True, movies, yeah, where people yeah. are getting thrown through, you know, and that's a, I think a lot of people's problem with this, the latest Superman movie uh, from 2012 or 13 or 14, where um, Man of Steel, where it's like Superman would never allow himself to get into a big fight in in a, in a public, you know, he's always trying to draw the bad guy away from the from the city so that the least amount of human casualties. Um, 
so, so people are aware now of, of the connotations of these kind of films. So it does take on a, 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 a more serious yeah. uh, uh, turn when you see this now with, with this mindset of a post-9-11 world. But, I mean, but back to your point, like, I, I could see what you're saying. That, like, I do think, especially, you know, circa 1974, like, I could see that that being a very real reason why these movies did very well. One, I mean, you know, look. Throw a bunch of actor, you know, popular actors in a movie yeah. together. It's always going to do fairly well, um, and I think this, you know, this the effects. It's the spectacle of it. Yeah. For, like in this movie, like we we're saying, like the effects are really great. Yeah, you know, it's really like a stunning movie to watch in terms of visuals and and stuff. But um, you didn't like the script. You said you said the script was shitty. I not the shit. I just you know, it was like the it's just getting you there. Yeah, it's just it getting was, you to you the know fire. What? It was like there was too many there was too many characters. It was yeah. too long. Well, see, the, these are the 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 uh, hiccups you get in these kind of movies where it's like you have to you know explore everyone's you know. So it's like halfway through the movie, oh, I forgot, I f- even freaking forgot that Robert Vaughn's in this movie, or I forgot yeah, Rob yeah. Wagner's having an affair with his secretary in his yeah, office because yeah. you know. I just felt like it was mo. In my personal opinion, it was like most detrimental to like a lot of like the early Steve McQueen stuff. Yeah. Like he was just like the the dialogue he was you know required to give was not dialogue that like anybody could deliver and make interesting. Yeah. It's not interesting and he, dialogue. And it's he's very like by the book, by the code. Even though he's he's doing what he can, but it's he's, not he's throwing exposition out for like dramatic yeah. ex, for dramatic purposes, it's not the easiest dialogue to deliver. And he's like a guy like Eastwood who like he's better to just less lines, you know, I can I can say a paragraph with my eyes. Yeah. And so he I, you know, I don't need to he can just emote very well, so sometimes it's a hindrance with him. Um, but then uh, Another great thing I'd like to bring up is, uh, which is you see kind of happening nowadays, uh, stunts. And Steve McQueen especially tried to do almost all his own stunts in this movie. And so did Paul Newman to a certain extent, but Paul Newman did have a body double. But Steve McQueen really went to the board, and he was the kind of guy who did all his own racing in movies. So he, you know, he was a race car driver, motorcycle driver. So he'd do all, a lot of his car racing in movies. He'd do a lot of stunts. And he tried to do a lot in this, and, and he actually uh, really hurt his ankle. Uh, there's that sequence where it's him jumping through the uh, the duct system, and you have that great matte painting of looking down. Yeah, yeah. You know, he like leaves the kids. He's like, I'll see you. You know, and he, and he has to jump across. He ended up really hurting his ankle, and uh, he was out of it for a couple days. And then that's a reason why near the end of the movie, you have him sitting down because they had to rewrite a lot of stuff to get him to say dialogue seated. Yeah. So he's sitting there resting, and he delivers some stuff. I mean, do his you ankle think that like up. a lot of that is like an ego thing? You know, like does it really? Well, I think for it's a lot of, I mean, like I could see, like you want to try to get the actor to do as much as possible, so that you know you can get shots where you can tell that it's him. But at the same point time, is it really like that detrimental? See, to I the don't know. See, it's, it's, it goes halfway. I mean, the 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 thing against it is, you know, why why would you want to have the actor doing his own stunts? And from the studio's point of view, is like, you know what? If Joe Blow gets hurt, they can put somebody else in there. But if a guy who's your principal, Steve McQueen, gets hurt, it's going to stop production. So, and there's the insurance. God forbid if something really happened, you know, th- th- these people are insured, they take a, t- take a loss. And then from the actor's point of view, it's like, well, a lot of times, you know, if the camera's close, you can clearly tell if it's a stunt double. Yeah. So you want to look like you're there, you're doing it, you know, you're in it, you're a method actor, whatever. Eastwood, you see him doing a lot of that. His stuntman in uh, the Iker Sanction, which is a great uh, espionage uh, mountain climbing assassin movie, died like 
a week into it because he, he was killed uh, by an accident. So Eastwood did his all his own stunts. So Eastwood's hanging off Eicher Mountain, uh, wherever that is in Switzerland or Germany, yeah. uh, doing his own stuff. And uh, you have a, a great example in the, what is it, 1990 or 91, Patrick Swayze, where they, the, he went to, to the studio in Point Break and was like, I'm jumping out of a freaking plane. And like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am. And then there's that scene where he jumps out of a plane in Point Break. And I bring it up because recently, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is we're on the eve of that new Mission Impossible movie coming out. Yeah. And evidently in this new Mission Impossible movie, Tom Cruise was strapped on the side of a plane four times and took off yeah. on the side of an Airbus. You know, and that's crazy that <laughs> they're doing a shot with Tom Cruise on the side of a plane, you know, taking off and getting to 5,000 feet. And it's like, yeah, these actors will do it. You know, I mean, th if there was a way for them to be able to do it safely. So it's, it's, it's crazy that, like you're saying, that, you know, does the actor really need to do it? Or is it a, a macho thing? Or is it, are they doing it just because they can say they, they did it? Or is it an ego thing? Or they, they don't want to have somebody else be put in that peril? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so, but it's interesting that, that you have these, uh, these kind of things where these, these, these big showman things. Uh, going on. Um, Faye Dunaway, they say, ha was a big problem on set. She was showing up late all the time. <laughs> she, she, she would or not show up at all. So at one point, William Holden grabbed her and threw her against the wall so, and like threatened her and said, you know, you fucking bitch or whatever. And after that, she was, she was. Uh, that's back when you could do that. Yeah, that's <laughs> when you could do, you can wrench, wrench somebody's <laughs> arm and throw them against the wall and, uh, and really, you know, have a word with them. And evidently she was uh, on time the rest of the shooting. And uh, I want to give a special shout out to, to William Holden. God bless him. He's a great actor who's in Sunset Boulevard. He's in the original Sabrina. He shows up in SOB. And I think one of his last movies is Network. He's also in the Wild Bunch. But he was a drinker. And uh, I think right after SOB, I think it is in the early 80s, he was drinking one night in this condo, as you do. And uh, he had a lot to drink and he was in his bedroom and there was an area rug in front of his bed and he I guess slipped on the area rug and whacked his head against the nightstand and and you know cracked his head open I guess and because he was so drunk he didn't realize and he was bleeding and then he just bled out yeah. and he passed out and then I guess from what his neighbors said he was friendly but it wasn't friendly enough for them to notice that he hasn't you know been seen yeah, yeah. so they, it took four or five weeks for him to or not weeks i'm sorry days say, to, wow. for them to find his body <laughs> yeah it's sad and they, they were able to determine there was a big dent on the wall from the nightstand so maybe that's what happened and then there was tissues around so he must have tried to stop the bleeding and he just ended up dying that way and i talked to dr Baden about this because uh, i think he did the autopsy and he said there was some controversy which i don't know if this is true but Baden told me that uh he supposedly got a cut on his buttock. It's like his right or left butt cheek. And that's where the bleeding was. But Frank Sinatra didn't want people to know that. So they said it was his head. Huh. So I don't know what, what the real story is there. But God bless William Holden. Great actor. And I think he left us too soon. Great guy. Just he liked to drink. So um, any other thoughts you have on this? I don't think so. I mean, it's definitely, it's a spectacle. Yeah. You know, I think Earl, Earl <laughs> he knows how to do him, that. you know. You know, you think 1974, I'm trying to think, because uh, Siliphant yeah, the, uh, and McQueen were both very... Uh, the screenwriter, uh, what's his face? Sterling Sterling Siliphant. Uh, you know, if you're going to play the What If game, both he and McQueen were very close friends with Bruce Lee. It would have been awesome to get, to get Bruce hey, in did on he, this movie. Did, did, did Siliphant write The Chinese Connection? I don't know if you're... He, uh, he might have... Not, not that one. He might have wrote... Enter the Dragon, maybe. Okay, because I know... I know that he was very close with Bruce Lee, and that's why Bruce Lee would show up. 
he was where he was writing like some television show and you always you can see clips of like him showing up on like television shows spouting off like his Bruce philosophy yeah, yeah of like you know be like water yeah, yeah. and all that move like, around the stuff because uh Silifan was working on these shows and that's when he would write bruce lee in the into appearances on these shows uh yeah Silifan has a great um um, history. He wrote In the Heat of the Night. He got an Oscar for. He wrote Naked City TV show. Wrote Route 66, which I didn't know. I haven't watched yet, but they say that's they, it's debatably the best show ever. I don't know. Interesting. Ended in 64, and then he went into movies. Did In the Heat of the Night. He wrote the first Poseidon Adventure. And uh, evidently, I never knew until uh, us watching this movie and reading a little about it that Steve McQueen supposedly had a lisp. He had problems saying S's. So he, he took Silifan aside and said, listen, I don't like the dialogue. You need to change it. They changed it. And McQueen said, I still don't like the dialogue. And Silifan's like, what's, what's the deal? And he's like, and he, he wanted to make sure no one was around. And McQueen's like, I sometimes have problems saying words with S's in the end. Can you just... And like, and Silifan's like, sure, if you told me that, you know, I would have I done that. <laughs> you know, so the first yeah, he reworked it all. So I didn't know that. And then I guess getting back to the, the, uh, the theme of the movie, I, the, the question I put to you about horror... Um, Silifant loves uh, doing scripts about, like, his themes are like life. Life matters, you know. Uh, and, and he always puts, like, you know, uh, he does these big set pieces where it's, like, challenging, you know, you traversing this, uh, this challenge to be able to, to you, know, you know, realize that, you know, life versus death, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you, you always put in this situation where it's a death-defying situation. And you make the choice to live, and, you know, you, you're able to, to, to you know, persevere over adversity if it be like a, a staircase with Paul Newman hanging down or you know, whatever <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. so he did that a lot in all his movies you know so I think Silifant is really cool um, and it's just it's, it's such a, a crazy uh, uh, just a crazy movie like these 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 uh, just think of how the, all the money they blow on these things and, and especially back then where it was all you know practicals oh yeah, yeah. you know you oh and the other thing that we'd like to talk about here uh, apparently you know, this movie is like two hours and like 45 minutes yeah, long. Yeah, it's a long one. Uh, but apparently the television version cut is longer. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, Appar- I didn't know that. Apparently there's a TV cut that has like several more like scenes or, or the scenes are extended. Um, kind of like the reason why this happens is they try to fit it into a certain uh, block where it's going to end up being a certain amount of time with commercials. Uh, for television and sometimes uh, it seems like they did it more often back in the day than they do probably do now. Now they would just cut the crap. Yeah. Out you of just, you, you mentioned that before where it's just like in the old days, they wanted to fill the time where you make the point where nowadays they're just like, fuck it. We'll just cut the movie. And <laughs> we'll put more commercials. In. <laughs> like aviator, which is like a three hour movie. It's not like for, for two hours with commercials <laughs> or something, you know, with like television. But uh, so apparently, you know, I didn't, it must've been like a four hour block that they were trying to, Phil, with this well, movie. on this on the DVD special edition we watched, there is this, uh, a whole second disc, and there is like extended and deleted scenes, like a whole bunch of them. So I, must, I guess they must have just threw those bad boys. But right apparently, in. even some of those extended and deleted scenes are like not as extended as they are. From what I've heard, on the t- you're, oh, so you're saying there's like a notorious. It's almost it's like, like Army the, of Darkness. It's like the Army of Darkness. There's like a notorious cut. Uh, is still like Night of the Creeps. Watch, yeah. Wow. I, so we have to get our hands on the... Uh, Apparently a lot of it is not very good, and you can see why it got cut out. Um, yeah. But the, Fighting the fire. There's this... <laughs> Apparently somebody loves this movie, because there is like an entire website dedicated to Towering oh, Inferno. Firemen love these things. Towering, it? It's like towering inferno dot like 
info or something. We'll have to put a link. We'll put a link in the, uh, whole, in the cast. And so I was, I, was, I was browsing through the website, and that's where he, there's a whole section where he goes through this guy who, or person that made this website goes through and gives like a list of what those scenes in the television version are and like what they accomplish and dialogue scenes and whatnot. That's great. Not like transcriptions, but like, Just like little it. tiny one-sentence one-liners Just some kind of give you an up. idea of where what's in there. God bless that guy who went through all that trouble. This, yeah, this, Somebody loves this movie, man. This movie resonates. Like I He's said, got pictures of storyboards. That's great. That's another thing, you know, the, the, the little, um, little tidbits of information were uh, showing how Earl and Allen was a genius. Before he'd hire these actors, he'd have his, his, his artists draw the storyboards up, and he'd specifically have the uh, storyboards look like each character. So it looked like Paul Newman, Steve McQueen. So that when he'd bring the actor in to sign for the movie, yeah, yeah. he'd show him the storyboards and he'd sell it to him that way. Look at you here and you're yeah, covered yeah. with water. You're on fire. And they're like, where am I signing? <laughs> it was funny when you, we talked about when we did John Carpenter's The Thing. We talked about how... Um, you have a couple of the original storyboards from John Carpenter's The Thing. Plute. Yeah. Uh, that and also uh, I've seen other, you know, other storyboards that have McCready, you know, the Kurt Russell character, and the way he's drawn, he looks like Clint Eastwood in the... Well, it wasn't that a, a, for a, a minute they were thinking of... <laughs> yeah, uh, I think of, we of talked about that with the thing, that there was... Our what-if game, they were what-if talk, game. They were talking about having Eastwood, so when you look at those storyboards... There's a ton know, of people they were looking to have in that yeah. movie. You could have, like, three or four alternate, like Richard Crenna, you can have, like, three or four different, uh, you know, alternate casts in that movie. <laughs> Imagine now, do you think... Uh, you know, this is uh, obviously a tangent, but say, like, when we did that movie, we talked about how that movie ended up flopping. John Carpenter's The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. It ended up flopping. But it is like it's a big ensemble cast. If they had, you think if they had taken, like, more this route with it? and so, like, like, really celebrity it out? Yeah, and really celebrity yeah, the crap I think it out of that been, movie. Yeah, I mean, we talk about um, Steve McQueen. He got paid, I think this movie, for some reason, put him uh, on top, and he was, like, the highest paid actor in the 70s. And then right after this movie, he kind of stopped acting for a while. And into the late 70s, he kind of like, he, you know, he grew a beard. He, he didn't do so much. He did a movie called Enemy of the People, which is really good. And then he did uh, a Western Tom Horn, which is brilliant. And then he did his last movie, The Hunter, when he died in 1980 from mesophilioma. And uh, at the time, they were trying to get him to, 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 to do stuff. So there's tons of stuff that they, they either wrote for him or offered him, and he said no to they offered him uh, Martin Sheen's character in Apocalypse Now. He said no. They offered him Marlon Brando's character in Apocalypse Now. He said no. They offered him Rambo. He said no. They offered him Colonel Troutman. He said no. They wrote uh, uh, William Freakin's Sorcerer. And uh, he said yes, but he didn't want to leave the United States. And then Freakin's like, screw you. We're going to take this thing on the road. And the reason why I'm giving this as an example yeah. is because Freakin says that there. He said, hey, Roy Scheider is a great guy, but the movie bombed. He said, I realized then and there that... Uh, uh, close-up of Steve McQueen's eyes in a movie is worth whatever money you need to pay him or, or whatever caveats he wants, you know. So I think you're right. If they cast, if you get the right people who are on yeah, top, yeah. you know, a whole calicave of people, your movie could be completely horrible, which I think a lot of these disaster movies end up becoming in when they kind of run out of steam in the late 70s. You can have just like, it's almost like one of these TV specials, yeah, like, you yeah. know. Uh, what's his face like Ed McMahon's you know Star Search <laughs> where you just have you know our match game where you have like yeah, Richard yeah. Dawson's here what the hell is Richard Dawson doing here you know you have this so I think you know uh, that happens too and then lastly since I brought it up they also wrote for McQueen The Bodyguard 
Oh, and yeah, and yeah. he said no to that. That sat on a shelf for like 10, 15 years, and that's it ended up getting you know made. And then and that's why you look at Kevin Costner. He kind of looks like McQueen. He has a McQueen haircut. He has the turtleneck, and he has the you know the kind of Burberry uh, raincoat in it, the trench coat. So it's interesting everything that they threw at him to get him to come out act. Um, yeah, it's 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 so odd that you know your movie could suck, but if you have the right people in it, or you know you can you can. And these movies prove that that you can do that. And even going back to, you, you think about Cecil B. DeMille and him doing like Ten Commandments or Cleopatra or those big sword and sandal movies where they'd have like, you know, everybody's in those freaking movies. Everyone's just like, you know, clocking in, you know, their yeah, sag, yeah. you know, and those movies are epics again. And those are the same kind of things with like six hours long to get everybody in there. You know, Vincent Price, Richard Attenborough, uh, yeah, yeah. Chuck Heston. Uh, it's weird. Uh, and then... I guess lastly here, they, they, they used uh, 1,000 firemen they hired uh, to do OT work. So all those people are really f are all real firemen fighting those fires. And uh, McQueen had them actually go back and redesign the helmets for, for all the principal actors because uh, I guess a regular uh, fireman's helmet, the brim is too low. So it, it casts a bad shadow. And he says, I want it raised. And they're like, well... It's going to cost us 50 grand. He's like, go do it. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I want us all to look better. So he, he pushed for that, and they redesigned the, the, the front uh, brim of the fire, the hard fireman's helmet so that yeah. you know, it, it would photograph better. And uh, last shout-out is Dabney Coleman. He shows up near the end there, and sitting next to him is Olin Soule. And Olin Soule is a uh, big character actor in the 50s and 60s who are in a lot of episodic Jack Webb-like Dragnet and stuff. But people like us will know him. He was the voice of Batman through the 70s and early 80s on Super Friends and like, oh, okay, yeah. and like your uh, Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin. Yeah, That's yeah. Owen Soule doing the voice of Batman. So if you think of like that, that Batman detective when he's like the Sherlock Holmes kind of Batman, like, you know, with chemicals and chemistry and problem solving, that's, yeah. that's Owen Soule showing up there as the structural engineer yeah, when yeah. they want to blow the water tanks. We, uh, we mentioned John Williams and the score of this. Apparently the score to this is like, like a sought-after thing. I mean, it's been released... I think it's even been released in like longer editions. Um, there's a controversy where they say that some of these cues were reused for like earthquake or something, but apparently that's not true. And like apparently there's the cue in the uh, during the party, yeah, where like McQueen comes up and he's like, "That's uh, a great." I know you you you. You, you were saying how McQueen was having problems with dialogue, but I particularly yeah. love that scene where, yeah. where he's in the elevator and it, that's a perfect kind of how McQueen acts where he's sitting there and then he, he has a realization, okay, maybe I should enter the party without wearing my freaking hard hat and my yeah, oxygen. Yeah. He takes all that off and he, I really love that scene of yeah. him just coming up with just his shirt and the short sleeve shirt and his tie. So I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but apparently there's a, there's a, the band is playing yeah. and they're dance, there's some dancing going on. That might even be where you see the Fred Astaire Oh, doing his little yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the and then William Holden comes over and talks to Steve McQueen, and then William Holden goes over and interrupts the band. Apparently, that piece of music that the band is playing is written by John Williams, and it's like the most like sought after piece of music in like John Williams's catalog because it gets interrupted. So there's no end to it, and you can't get it. You can't get like that full piece of music Seriously. Like, anywhere. So I, r r I read somewhere that there is an instrumental version of whatever. I forget the the darn movie. Is it only we only just begun? Whatever the movie that was the song that was sung in the Poseidon Adventure that that woman's singing, yeah. you know. But uh, at New Year's before the chip flips over, there is an inter uh, inter uh, ah, if I can say it right, an instrumental version of that in this. 
and I can only imagine it must be in one of those yeah. ballroom scenes before sure. shit goes down. So I didn't know. I thought that was what that was, but I guess um, I'm wrong. I was, I was reading it. I don't even remember yeah. where I read it. That's okay. And it's weird. William John Williams, I guess Irwin Allen's original idea was at the beginning of the movie, he didn't want any music. And John Williams scored it, wrote the score. He goes, let me just show you. And he played it to the movie, and that's like that epic opening and uh, he sold Irwin. Irwin's like, shit, that's it. That's, that's the, you know, print it. Check the gate. You know, that's, that's great. Uh, and what was Williams doing around this time? He, he was just getting the Jaws, I guess, right? Because Jaws is, um, Jaws is 75. Like, it's like around that time, yeah. So, I don't know. He had worked in television. Um, he'd been along, around a long time, and a lot of people don't realize. I mean, they just know him because of things like Star Wars and, and, uh, See Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones yeah. and Superman. A lot of Spielberg-related stuff. Um, but he was working since the '60s. It's, it's crazy. You think a lot of these, uh, a lot of these people, were, you know, that that um, you don't realize how long their careers are. Were like, you know, the, back then or whatever. They're starting in the early '70s and they're still, you know, plotting away. You know, uh, although we've lost a couple, like we've lost um, John Barry and stuff like that. So some of the greats. Oh, that's the unfortunate thing about it is because. So many of the great composers uh, earlier than the seventies are gone. You got, yeah. you know, John Barry, Jared Goldsmith is gone. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, many the, t- the titans like uh, Bernard Herrmann and all them who died like you know Bernard in the Herrmann, 70s. obviously the guy who beautiful scores for like the Hammer films. James Bernard, he's yeah. passed. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, so many of them have passed away. It's uh, it's such a beautiful underappreciated art form yeah part, yeah. part of, of filmmaking uh, and then uh, Erwin Allen's wife had a cameo Sheila Allen was the mayor's wife and I thought the mayor himself he kind of looked like a stunt double for James Cagney in the late 70s <laughs> kind of heavier fam- guy he looked familiar that guy I can't I couldn't he had some him. sweet eyebrows because there's a couple uh, profiles and his eyebrows are like combed up <laughs> You know, and it's like, wow, he looks like the Orkin man or whatever that guy. Uh, you know, it's it, it's amazing how um, how his eyebrows looked, and uh, yeah, and and, and uh, I think that we that about wraps it up here. How wow, we've towered Inferno this baby to, to death. Um, so what do you give it out of? Um, what, what are we saying? Sleepovers, uh, sugar colas, what, <laughs> caffeine fueled colas. Uh, it's a tough one because as a movie, we usually we do it out of five. I don't know. As a movie, maybe I'd say three. Mm. As a sleepover movie, one or two. Really? <laughs> like I don't. Like I don't necessarily. For me, like this is not what like a, a sleepover movie, a sleepover classic uh, entails see, for me personally. For me, it's this is like an example of one of those movies where like you know you go to the the, the rental store with your father or mother. Or I guess me more my father. And he's like you. You're gonna like this tonight. We're gonna rent this, and I'm like okay. And then that's like a movie that. You never heard of until they show it to you. Like, you know, that happened to me with the Dirty Dozen or Rambo First Blood. Where yeah, it's like, yeah. we're going to rent this tonight. We're going we're <laughs> to rent Death Wish. And you're going to like yeah. it. Yeah. And me and my friend Martin are like, are you sure? And then we're like, holy shit. So, like, to me, this is like one of them. Like a disaster night sleepover movie. Then we go down in the basement. And we, like, light the basement on fire. And we try to play. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we try to figure out. Giant Lego tower. <laughs> yeah, a Lego tower. And we just light the afghan and the blankets on fire. It was going to be safe. We had, we like had water. Stand the couch up on its side yeah. so that it's <laughs> It's like a big tower. Tall, tall. And you, gotta, in the jo- you light the Joes on fire with kerosene. <laughs> <laughs> They're jumping off into the water, you know. And you're using your Tonka fire trucks to, to put this stuff out. So a lot, of, a lot of games could be played with this stuff. So uh, I'd give it probably like three, three out of five sleepover stars. 3.5 po- 3. out of five sleepover stars. I think... Uh, 
I don't know how this, I, I don't know which one I like better. This is Poseidon Adventure. Uh, I think they're both in the same, you know, they're interchangeable. Yeah. And uh, I plan to watch Earthquake later this summer. So I'll get back to you there how good Earthquake is because I think Earthquake's another example where I think it's a little more drawn out. Like, you know, just, yeah, yeah. you know, 30 minutes of them trying to get from A to B, <laughs> you know, like these <laughs> big set pieces. Um, but I think this is a great example of the, the, genre, the disaster genre that, we, like we said at the beginning of this cast, we still see today as well as uh, a, a good example of what the 70s were for people and what uh, a good homage to just like practical effects what people used to do back then, which w- I don't know if you'd ever see to this extent now. I mean, they just released a new Star Wars featurette for the new movie coming out next year, the J.J. Abrams one, and I know they're basing a lot of the Star, the Star Wars movies, a lot of practicals, like with makeup and stuff. They want to make yeah. it look like an old throwback, but I don't think you'd ever see anything like this again. And th- that's the things I don't understand why, because it's like, okay, I understand like maybe the original intention was, okay... It costs a lot of money. There's a lot of manpower. You don't have a lot of control over it as much as if we did it in post, if we did everything in post. But when you watch the credit of movies now, there's like three billion people's names in the credits that are like animators. And then it's just like a wall of white. (laughs) Like takes up the entire screen. It's like little specks of black. It looks like, you know, it looks like static on an old television. That's That's how 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 much white there is of of font. Um, Of people. So I can't imagine it costs less. Well, they say, I don't know. Yeah, they say it. But it it never really, um, I mean, there's certain movies I would think that, okay, you have to. Like Twister, okay, you're going to have to use CGI at some point. Although it's, it's great to play the what-if game. If you were to make Twister or 2012 or San Andreas, the, the last movie, you make them in the 70s, how the heck? Because they would have got made, but it's just what would they have done? Like I recently watched this winter before the winter was up, um, Avalanche, which is a Roger Corman with um, uh, what's-his-face is in the, um, from... Um, uh, what's the movie we like? <laughs> I can never remember. Uh, John Frankenheimer movie, Seconds. Seconds, yeah. uh, Who's that, the lead in that? Oh, well, Rock Hudson. Yeah, Rock Hudson stars in Avalanche. And you're like halfway through the movie. It's basically, you know, they're at a ski resort and there's an avalanche. So you're kind of thinking, like, how are they going to do an avalanche? And it's awesome. Like, they really, like, took a mountain down. It's, you know, and then there's a lot of, like, uh, optical printing, like we saw in this movie, where they optically printed smoke yeah. over. So, like, sometimes they'd shoot something... Um, and then later on they'd lay smoke in so there's, it looks a little smoky and they did that with the snow but it's like they really you know how many takes or how expensive was it to have an avalanche how many takes yeah. you know so you look at nowadays and it's like dude, that would all be CGI so it's, I don't know why a lot of this stuff looks better especially the miniature stuff like you know I mean th- you have a limitation with matte paintings sometimes you could tell that's fake sometimes yeah. well I think a lot of that is where CGI really works now like, you watch, like, Gotham. Yeah. And they just, like, rearranged New York to make it look not like New York. And you know what? And it that, looks brilliant. That would have made uh, Christopher Nolan's movies 100% better if he just freaking did that. You know, and then you have this little TV show, Gotham, doing it. You know, you're right. And it's just if you use it, like, that's why I, I used to like Titanic, where, you know, it's like if you, if you use your CGI to further your story as opposed to the spectacle, because for me it's like, uh, which I would think would be the filmmaker's desire is you don't want people to stop down in the middle of uh, the the journey they're on to say, oh, look, that's a great special effect, or, or you yeah, know, yeah. you don't want them to become so aware of yeah, the you don't spectacle. Take them, out, take them out of the story. Which is 
what happened since CGI really began, aside from like Terminator and maybe like Jurassic Park, I can't think of any movies that are like, they're all horrible now. <laughs> I mean, they're all like, you know, they're just one big, <laughs> you know, cartoon after another where these movies were like, you could tell there's a stuntman on fire <laughs> running around, you know, and there's, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, there's danger and there's freaking, you know, big set. I mean, and as well. Well, so the thing is like fire doesn't ever, ever really look right. Yeah, with the to, animation. Yeah, so like you say, you did this, and it would just—I don't think it would look. Even if you could get the building to look great, you yeah, know, you still wouldn't. Like I don't think the, all the fire and stuff—I don't think would look that great. I, and you think about what these people had to go through, where it's like, okay, I, and the people who worked on uh, this, Irwin Allen had like a troop of of like you know uh, character actors and, and production people and editors that he would take from project to project, and they talk about well, okay. You do Poseidon Adventure, water. Water kind of obeys what you want it to do. But then when you go to fire, you know, you have to be ready to go when you light that match because fire is just going to fucking do whatever it wants because it's almost like the backdraft idea yeah. where it's, it's, it's its own entity. It's, it, you can't really control it to a certain extent. Uh, couple with that where to think about you're in huge sound stages and erected sets that you're going to just light on fire, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And then as well as that is you have to have everything be safe. Like there's there, I mean, we're not talking about like a, a, a gorilla filmmaking where like, you know, they're just grabbing a shot and you're just doing something off to the side. Like we talked about maniac yeah. uh, with Joe Spinell where they, you know, shot a real shotgun into a car to blow up Tom Savini's head. It's like these big productions have thousands of people watching. So you have, you know, you have fire marshals on set saying you can't get, uh, this place above a thousand degrees because the real the sound stage sprinklers are going to go off. So how do you you know it's just so much goes into just safety and, and and security and it just it just seems like there's just days and days of shooting to get it right and it's just it's mind blowing. Well, so basically what you were saying is <laughs> watch Towering Inferno if you want to see like a spectacle of. of Filmmaking ingenuity—it's a—it's a testament. It's—it's—it's a—it's a—it's a gone era, and and I think we are in agreement that I don't think you'll ever get something like this back. No, I don't think so. Unless you have like a auteur who demands it, yeah, yeah, who says I'm going to do it this way, like J.J. Abrams is doing with the new Star Wars. You'll never see something like this again, you know, for whatever reason. So, all right. Well, if you guys are still here with us. Thank you so very much for listening to this week's uh, special uh, uh, in the back room of the bike shop episode of uh, the Tower of uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Um, I'm Dion Baya. I'm here with Jay Blake. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, and uh, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on uh, Twitter. Check us out on uh, our site is Saturday uh, sleepovers.podwits.com. We do the sidecast on podwits.com check that out too we're also on uh, player fm is our new is another new place where you can find us yeah uh tell friends about us retweet us send us questions comments concerns if we're boring you let us know if you're if you're loving us let us know if you posts comments yeah uh, go on itunes write reviews if Uh, you like what you're hearing share it maybe you know hit hit a little (laughs) retweet or share or, or say you're full of malarkey let us know and uh 
We're, we are accepting submissions, so I think we do have a couple. Um, we are taking them to an advisement. Yeah, because I think we have requests. one or two that we, we we're going to get to that we we were talking about that we're, that, that were uh, requests that we're going to do. Because uh, we don't, all we have is a huge garage full of videotapes yeah. that are just stacked, stacked from floor to ceiling. Yeah, that my mother and, and Blake's mom <laughs> have been asking us to throw out for twenty years. Gotta watch these babies before the tape becomes too brittle. Yeah, we're like, no, we don't want to watch. We want to watch these original. We're not even watching DVDs. We're gonna watch the original <laughs> as they were intended in <laughs> nineteen the whatever. Edited Super Eight, too real. All the old <laughs> ten minute, <laughs> ten minute version. I wonder of if there was Inferno. a t- there was a ten minute version of this. You know, yeah, on the little little eight millimeter projector. Do people even know about that? We're ending the cast, yeah, but it's just weird. Uh, Maybe we'll do a side cast on that at some point. Yeah, we talk a little bit about it in the uh, in the side cast on podwits.com where we talked about movie and novelizations. Yeah, where they used we to. We talk do this. a little bit about the Super Eight prints. It was a niche before uh, people had. You know, you can get videotapes and VCRs and way before DVD players were. Uh, they had Super 8. They, they'd make your, your two-hour, hour-and-a-half film. they cut down to 10 minutes to fit that bad boy on a little spool on Super 8. And you'd buy a projector, and you'd go home, and you can watch the movie as many times as you want. That 10-minute, uh, you know, Star Wars. Imagine having or that job. They're cutting the movie down. We should down. see if we could find a guy that used to have to do that. Yeah, and then Edit who, those movies down to 10 minutes. Yeah, and as well as who, who is it the editor's job, or is it somebody coming in like the editor's, of course, working for a supervisor, and your supervisor's like, okay, we're going to cut this, cut this storyline, cut this storyline. Like, what can you accomplish in Star Wars in eight minutes? <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I don't know. We you should know, interview a friend of mine who uh, is a little bit older. He went to the same school that we went to, but graduated like a decade before we got there. Uh, but he used to tell me he was way into it. Yeah. And he used to say that, like, he could watch Star Wars and tell you where all the cuts were because he watched his Super 8 so many times that he knew exactly what the edits were. I think it becomes a different movie entirely, you know? And there's that great movie, Running Scared, from, like, 10 years ago with Scott Walker, and, and w- th- that plays a big part. One of the villains was from Russia, and he talks about oh, he saw John Super Wayne's movie, The Cowboys, but he saw the eight-minute version, and then it didn't. He didn't realize until he got to America and he saw the extended cut that John Wayne dies in the end. We should get uh, one. We should pick a movie. And b- but then we have to get a projector. Watch <laughs> it. And then watch the, the projection of it. Oh, so we have two casts. Or I don't know. <laughs> that'd be so weird. We do like the regular, like the black hole. Where, we, watch tell, the where, we, where we tell you how, it, how it's edited. Because yeah, all you can do is like Star Wars, Luke Skywalker. Uh, we got to save the princess. And we got to blow a death star up at the end. <laughs> right? Yeah, basically. I mean, but, but you we'll know, see. Tower, we'll, we'll do it. Towering Inferno. There's a fire. People are scared. They put the fire out. I know somebody that collects them. Does he maybe. have them? We should see what which yeah, ones he maybe has. Maybe he can. Maybe he can. We can rent them. We can rent them from him and then the projector. We need to figure out a, a which ones they did for what movies. B which ones he has, and then C which ones we want to do because you you, you imagine. Like what the criteria was? Was there a ten-minute cut of Gone with the Wind? <laughs> you know, or Ten Commandments, like a four-hour movie where they just like, okay, Moses got the. the well, the like I interviewed Joseph Bashara, who's the composer who has uh, done the music for like the Insidious movies and Conjuring and stuff. I mean, he wor- he does he works a lot now. The horror films, but he, how he really like got into movies and horror was because somehow like, his parents were into Super 8 they had a Super 8 projector and somehow his dad had a print a Super 8 print of Dr. Caligari the cabinet of Dr. Caligari the silent film yeah with uh, Conrad Veidt as uh, that guy oh geez what and as he watched it when he was like 8 and just well, became totally obsessed did he have a 10 minute movies. version of it or did he actually have know. like a I'll, just, I'll 
you know, I'll call him up and ask him. I wonder if he had the, you know a couple of reels because at that point, you know, how long? I guess the movie isn't that long, or that you know. But I wonder if he if was there a ten. They were they were put out, but like Nanook of the North, <laughs> you know, five minutes. <laughs> D.W. Griffiths, you Train know, pulling into a station. Yeah, ah, you know, the cowboy, you know, or the you know, of a birth of a nation. They, you know, all the all the Free KKK gay guys. Uh, anyway, yeah, well, anyway. We digress. Okay, as always. So thank so you for listening. If you haven't turned off yet. <laughs> Come back in two weeks. Check us out. We have a lot more stuff going on this summer. So uh, yeah, we'll look into the Super 8. Yeah. And uh, coming up, we have our year anniversary. So we, got we, have, a year, we have a year anniversary extravaganza. Yeah, it's going to be big. It's big for us. <laughs> it's huge. We're already planning it's it gonna now. It's going to be huge. We're sending out invitations to the, uh, to the, the gala, to the birthday party. So uh, until next time. Later. Later.